Well, hey, I want to share with you tonight from John 15, and you guys have been in a series talking through this idea of the vine and the branches, and, um, you know, Scripture is really clear. You are not the vine, right? You are what? What are you? Come on, talk about it. It's okay. You can talk to me. You are the what? You're the branches. Who's the vine? Jesus, right? And so the, the branch is to abide in the vine, right? The only way that the branch has life is if it's connected to the vine. Now, students, don't miss this, right? Like, you heard this a few weeks ago. If you are not connected to the vine, like if your life is not connected to Jesus, if there's not a relationship, you don't have life. Some of you placed faith. My, my friend Steve, he told me some of you placed faith in the last few weeks, as you've heard this series, as, as God's gotten a hold of your life and you've connected, you've been grafted into the vine, and now you are a part of a life-giving source, and it's doing a work in your life. Amen? Right? So we celebrate that. We're grateful for that. And if that's not you tonight, my prayer, uh, really, that you go home connected to Jesus Christ in a relationship with Him, because without Him, you don't have life. Now... The question becomes, listen, the question becomes, once I'm connected, once I'm abiding, once I have life, what does that mean for me? What is, what is the, the aim? Like, like you, how many, how many of you are seniors in the room? Anybody, right? Like you're, you're like halfway through your senior year. The second semester really doesn't even count. You're probably taking underwater basket weaving type classes, right? Like you're just ready to graduate. You're ready to move on. You're an adult now. But the question I have for you, really for all of us, is what is the aim of your life? What do you want to do with your life? What, what do you want to happen with your life? When it all comes to an end, what will count? What will count? I want, to, I want to share this with you. The whole of a person's life, don't miss this, the whole of a person's life is fundamentally serious. Now, I know students, right? Like, I served as a student pastor for years. Um, I'm, like, I'm an adult now, but, like, I, I'm still mostly not serious. I poop on the floor in the kitchen, right? Like, like, I, like, that's just me, right? And some of you love hearing that, and some of you are like, that's disgusting. I can't get that out of my mind. I'll never be able to listen to him again, right? But, like, for the most part, like, if you're a teenager, your life isn't that serious. Like, like you're just, you're living your best life, right? So those of you who are at camp, you know this. I served on the mission field for two years. I was in the Dominican Republic, and there was a lot of uh, Europeans. It was just a really unique area. But one of my jobs was to minister to English-speaking European teenagers, right? So there was these students that literally, they, they, their parents just let them run wild. Like, so they, we lived in a town where there was a lot of bars, like beach bars and party scene and all this kind of stuff. And these young teenage girls would go stand on the side of the street, flag down a cab in a third world country, hop in it by themselves, go into town to these clubs, to these party places, live their best life, and then go home. And I'm sitting here having these conversations, and I'm like, like, why are you, like, why would you do that? That doesn't, one, seem safe, right? Like, like that's just not smart. But what, what are you doing? And this is what she said. She said this. She said, we're teenagers. That's just what we do. And students, I, I don't know your culture. I don't think you're like flagging down a taxi on the side of the road here in Memphis or Germantown or wherever you live, right? Like I don't, I don't think that's happening. 
But I'd be willing to bet there's a little bit of living the free life as a teenager happening, right, to where it's like, I'm just a teenager. It doesn't matter. Like, I'll grow up and be serious later in my life. But what I, what I want you to know tonight is that the whole of a person's life, regardless of how old you are, is serious. Like, God created you. He breathed within you. You have life, a purpose, a meaning, right? So there's something for which we are responsible before God. God created you. Your life is serious, and so there's a responsibility to which you carry before your creator, God. And you will have to give an account to him. You are individually responsible to God for what you make of your life, but more importantly, what you allow God to do through you in your life. What's your aim? What are you trying to accomplish? In John 15, verse 8, we suddenly see an answer for that. Look at John chapter 15, verse 8. It says this. It says, my father, right? So Jesus is writing, my father, that's God Almighty, is glorified by this. What is this? He goes on. He says, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So Jesus just gives us a little hint as to what the aim of our life needs to be. It's this, that we live our lives. The aim of our life is to live in full abandon for the glory of God. That your life, God desires that you live in full abandon for his glory and not your own. That's why you exist. That's why you breathe. I mean, let's just think about this for a second. How many of you have ever been to a vineyard? Anybody? Anybody been to a vineyard? Right? Like three of you, two of you. All right. So if you've ever been to a vineyard, I've never been to one, but I can only imagine. Right? Like it's kind of cool. I don't know. Like there's just like farmland and there's things and there's grapes. I don't know. Like someone that's been. Is, am I correct? Is that, is that basically it? Right? Like you don't go to that. And you see these nice, plump grapes and think, wow, check out those branches. I, I guarantee you, you didn't go and look and say, man, those branches are exquisite. I love those branches. Those are great branches. If I could be a branch, I'd want to be that branch. No, when you go to a vineyard, you look at the fruit that those branches have on them, and you admire the fruit but then, right, you don't stop there. You think, man, these are great vines that are producing incredible fruit. The gardener, the one who's caring for the vineyard, must really know what he's doing. He is the one who is, what, famous for his vineyard. See, students, you've been duped. Like You've been lied to to think that you as a branch are somehow famous. Somehow it's about you, that somehow your life is all about you and your glory. When in reality, what the scripture teaches us, and this is very humbling. Like not, none of you showed up here to say, like, you're just a branch. Like literally, that's all you are. But what Jesus is showing is that there is meaning behind the branch when you're connected to the vine. Because all of a sudden, when you abide, as, as, as Pastor Steve's been teaching you guys, as you abide in Christ, then in that there is a bearing of what? of fruit. 
And what the scripture says now in verse 8 is that God, the Father, who we know according to verse 1 is who? He is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. He's the caretaker of it, right? He is the one who gets the glory through your life. And all of a sudden, there's meaning. There's purpose. There's a sense in which you, you have something to offer. Not because of you being special, but simply because you're just abiding in Christ. And so all of a sudden, we can live our life in full abandon of the glory of God so we can point to the gardener, the job he's done, and the glory that he gets. So then he goes on and he says, my father's glorified this, that you produce much fruit. Like, like there ought to be much fruit of life coming out of you. Now, I'm not going to go into what that means because that was like, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago? Some, some weeks ago, doesn't matter. Like, go back and, and listen to that or ask a friend or ask your pastor. But, but there's a sense in which we bear fruit. And then in that, we prove to be disciples. Sometimes students start to doubt their faith. Have you ever been through a season where you question, like, am I really saved? Like, did I do it right? Did I, you know, all the things. The scripture gives you evidence right here to show you if you're authentically saved is that there is fruit, much fruit being produced out of your life. And in that, God is glorified. So, so that's, that's what the scripture is teaching us. Now, I don't want to oversimplify this and then simply just say, well, that happens when you just, Stay connected and abide in the vine. But that's the reality of it. But what does that look like? What I want to do, I want to go to Mark chapter 9. And I want to look at my favorite Bible character who I just told you about, Peter. Because what I think we'll see is a correlation of how this fleshes out in his life, particularly in relationship with Jesus. And what I hope is that we'll see some truths that you can can cling to and, and lean in on um, and hopefully make an impact in your life as well. All right, so Mark chapter 9, I want, to, I want you to go there. Flip over there with me. Can you go there? If you got it, say I got it. All right, good. Mark chapter 9, this is the, the, the account of the transfiguration. Now, if you've been in church, you know the transfiguration story, right? Jesus goes up on the mountain. We'll talk about it here in a minute. If, you, if you've never heard that before, right, I'll, I'll explain it. But this is a very important, significant, I call it a tipping point in the life of Christ and his ministry, okay? And so it's a really important, I guess, account, story. It's not a, it's not a story because it really happened, like an account. But to understand what's happening, you have to go back, though, to chapter 8. So in chapter 8, Jesus is with his disciples. And he's spending some time with them, and he asks them a question in verse 27. He says, who do people say that I am? Now, that's an important question and really one that you need to be asking as well. So Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Well, the disciples say, well, some, of you, some people say that you're Moses, some, a prophet, like all these different answers. And Jesus says, I don't, I don't care what they say about me. He says, I want to know what you think about me. Who do you say that I am? So Peter, right, one of the disciples answers correctly he says you are the say it with me you are the the Christ you are the Messiah the son of God and all of a sudden it's like all of heaven sings oh like like he got it like like that's yes that's right 
his eyes were opened by God to be able to see the truth, the reality of who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, he is the Messiah, he is the Savior of the world. He is the vine. It's essentially what Peter was admitting to in that moment. And so in the very next paragraph, though, in verse 31 of chapter 8, Jesus begins teaching about the fact that he's going to die. Right? He starts telling them, all right, listen, I need you to know how this is going to go down. Like, we've been hanging out. I've been teaching you. We've been walking together. We're doing life together. This is good. We're, we're, we're like, we're friends. And, like, I'm your mentor. I'm, I'm discipling you. All these great things. Like, they're, they're on a spiritual high, if you will. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be killed. That's probably, like, not something they wanted to hear. So they're hearing this, and then the scripture says that Peter pulls Jesus aside after he's just said, hey, he's the Messiah. He says, hey, Jesus, like, and you're a great teacher. Like, you, you always do a great job with that. But this whole teaching of what you just did, I think you're a little off base. Like, like there's no way that, that we're going to let someone come and arrest you and kill you. Like, we got your back. Like, this isn't going to happen. You, you don't worry about that. What does Jesus respond to Peter with? He has some of the most pointed, convicting statement, words. He says, get behind me, Satan. Don't miss what Jesus is saying to Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Listen, because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Don't miss this. Peter had just confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, and now, and now, Jesus is telling him, get behind me, Satan. Students, don't, don't miss the truth in what's happening here. When we allow the aim of our life to be our own agenda, because that's what's happening with Peter. He's not aligning with the agenda of God and the agenda of Jesus. He's aligning with the agenda that he thinks is best. When we do that, when you do that, we are aligning with the very purposes of Satan himself. Don't miss it. Do you see? Listen, when Jesus says... I am the vine, you are the branches, you need to abide in me. Part of what that means is you're aligning yourself with the ways and the purposes and the aim and the glory of God and not your own agenda. Because when we go with our own agenda, not God's, all of a sudden, according to what's happening in this moment, we're aligning ourselves with the very purposes and the very desires of Satan himself. This is why our lives are serious. This is why our lives matter. This is why our lives count. And this is why abiding in Christ matters. So listen, so Jesus goes on in the end of chapter 8 and verse 34. He teaches them something. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. 
So what is he teaching Peter? He's saying the only way for you to align and aim your life for my glory and my ways and my concerns is that yours have to die. Daily you need to crucify, allow your passions, your desires, your aim, your glory, your life to go to the cross and say, not my will, but yours be done. And in that, you will bear much fruit and God will get the glory. And so, all of a sudden we come to chapter 9, this account of the transfiguration. And what Jesus does here is basically, I think, honestly, I think because of what's been transpiring, he says, it's now time for you to see me for who I really am. You've spoken it, but it has not transformed you. Let me, let me show you who I am. So look at Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 9, verse 2. We're going to read through verse 10. It'll be on the screen. It says this, after six days, Jesus took Peter. James and John. So it's been six days since all this. And he led them up on a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transformed in front of them. And his clothes became dazzling extremely white, as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, or really that word is tent. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, since they were terrified. And then a cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Then suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus alone. Now, this is a weird account. Like, this is a weird thing that happened. Like, this is kind of like one of those freaky moments in Scripture. It's like, uh, what, what just went down here, right? Let me explain what's happening. So, typically, in Scripture, when you have a mountaintop, the mountaintop moment is where God reveals himself in his glory to his people. All throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, all the big things of God's glory happen. Giving of the, the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament and God's glory coming down on Moses. Right? The transfiguration. All these kind of things happen in these big mountain moments. So God is revealing himself in this experience. And it says that Jesus was transformed this word transformed means transfigured. It means metamorphosis. There's this, this sense in which he changes. It's a literally changing of his look. He's not transforming from the outside, but rather from the inside in. It's almost like this idea of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, right? That's, that's the word that we have in our English comes from that word. And so this is happening before the disciples, and notice in verse 5, look at what it says in verse 5. It says, Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tents or three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. All of a sudden, Peter, he's having a, he's like, this is amazing. Right? So like Jesus, like, let's, don't forget what the experience of Jesus had been. What do we know about Jesus? He was basically homeless. He was a carpenter. He was, he was poor. He didn't have, like, like when you looked at Jesus, he was rough. Like the, the, there wasn't anything just beautiful about him. It's like, man, this, this guy, he didn't have it all going on. All of a sudden, he's on this mountaintop, and it says he transfigures, he transforms, and it says that he becomes as bright, like his clothes become whiter than any launderer can clean. Like 
miraculous. Like, how many of you have been to camp, right? You've been to camp, right? Like, you've had a spiritual high. Anybody had a spiritual high? You know what I'm talking about. Like, you're just like, you get the goosebumps, and you're like, yeah, I love Jesus, you know, that kind of thing, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You've had those moments. What do you want to do in those moments? You want to what? You want to stay there. You want to stay on the mountaintop. You want to live there. You want to live in that moment because it is so good. Because God, in all his glory, listen, students, when you look upon the glory of God, it is a good thing. It does something inside of you, and you long to stay there. And that's what was happening in this moment. Peter wanted to stay there. He's like, let's build a tent for you. Let's build a tent for you. Let's build a tent for you. Let's just hang out. Like, this is great stuff. I'm with Jesus transformed. It's like awesome. Problem is, is he completely misses it. Peter completely misses it. See, even in the very moment that Jesus was revealing himself and all his glory to Peter, he still missed it. Peter's life aim was turned inward of what Peter wanted in that moment. Peter wanted to absorb all of the goodness himself. He was short. Sided. He wanted to create earthly dwellings for eternal beings. He wanted to soak up all the goodness for themselves. And Peter, most devastatingly, re- uh, missed this reality that more work had to be done. You see, Jesus needed to get down off the mountain. But Peter wanted him to stay on the mountain. So how do we guard? Listen. Peter was, his aim in life was to do what he wanted. You see it? So how do we keep ourselves from having the same thing? How do we shift our aim away from ourselves? The first thing is this. If you want to write this down. We gaze on the glory of Jesus. We gaze on the glory of Jesus. I think Jesus understood the issue that Peter had, that we all have, that we are self-ish. We are about ourselves. Our aim in life is to live for our selves and so Jesus wanted Peter to see the reality of who Jesus was in all his glory that he need to gaze we need to gaze on the glory of God he wanted to peel back the curtain to allow them to see who he was this idea of transfiguration this metamorphosis it's the inside coming out So essentially what happened on that mountain is Jesus, who is fully man and fully God, right? All of the glory of God, which was on the inside, wasn't coming out. All of a sudden, that became exposed for Peter to see. And his eyes began to gaze upon it. We need to gaze upon the glory of God. Why? Because it's the glory of God that does a work in our lives to melt away the pride and the selfishness that we carry see jesus wants us to know his glory he wants us to look upon him to gaze upon him john chapter 17 verse 24 says father jesus is praying this i want those you have given me to be with me where i am why so that they will see my glory that they will see my glory which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation listen when we see and we gaze upon the glory of God it transforms our life students don't miss this truth you become that which you behold 
Don't miss this. You become that which you behold. It's the same picture of abiding in the vine. You are beholding the vine. You are beholding the glory of God. And in that, you bear much fruit. And in that, you give glory to God. So when you gaze on the glory of Jesus, it draws you in and you begin to reflect that glory, the glory of God in your life. But students, when you begin to behold and you begin to gaze on the things of this flesh, on the things of this world, on the desires of yourself, you begin to become those things. Students, what are you gazing upon? Like, where does your mind go? Where do your eyes go? Where does your life go? What is drawing you in? Is it the glory of Jesus or the things of this flesh and this earth? You will find yourself walking down a path of becoming that which you behold. So gaze upon the glory of of God. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and in that are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, you become transformed into that which you're gazing upon. So we abide in Christ. Students, what's your view of Jesus some of you are here simply because a friend invited you and you're just like, hey, I just need something to do and there's a bunch of, bunch of other people so I can hang out with, so let's go. We're going to do some line dancing and hear weird stories from the guest preacher. Like, like. But my, my question for you is, who, like, what is your view of Jesus? Like, is he the vending, man, vending machine? Like, is he the genie in the bottle? Like, is he the little helper that you stick in your pocket that you pull out when you need something? Like, have we reduced Jesus, and we've removed the glory of who he is, and we've lost sight of that so that when we look to Jesus, he's, he's nothing, and all these other things that this world offers is drawing our attention, and no wonder we're becoming like that. Let's, re, like, let's revisit the reality of who Jesus is. That's what Peter needed. And so Jesus revealed himself. He, he transformed. He showed him his glory. You need to be praying, Lord, show me your glory. Give me a big picture of who you are so that I can be drawn to you and not the things of this world. Gaze upon Jesus. Number two is this. We need to conform to the commands of Jesus. In, in, back in John chapter 15, verse 8, he says, this is, you, you will glorify my Father when you, uh, when you bear much fruit. What does, that, what does that mean in this passage in Mark 9? If you remember, like, Peter's up there, like this whole thing happens. And then in verse 7, a cloud appeared overshadowing them. And can you imagine how frightening this is? It's frightening enough to see Jesus like transformed to metamorphosis where like all this glory is shining out and he's this bright white being that you've never seen before. They were terrified, it says. And then all of a sudden, even worse, comes this voice from heaven, the voice of God the Father, right? And he says this, this is my beloved son. Don't miss this. Listen to him. I can't make it any more simple than that. Like God speaking from heaven. I mean, Peter is so like off his rocker and living for himself that God literally says, all right, I'm just going to speak it to you from myself. This is my son. Listen to him. 
do what he says. Conform your life to his commands. Not because they're burdensome, not because he's trying to not let you have fun, not because he's a joy killer, but because he is a life giver. This is why, students, this is why you listen. This is why you conform your life to the commands of Jesus, because Jesus authored life. And he has designed it in such a way where when we conform to the commands of Jesus, we then have life. Let's get real practical for a moment. Why do we not listen to the commands of Jesus? Ultimately, it's because our alignment and aim for our life is what we want rather than what he wants. If we just boil it down to that, right? But I think even deeper it's this, that we don't trust him. If we trusted him and we fully understood his glory and who he was, we would throw ourselves at him. If we could see it clearly. Do you trust Jesus? Do you believe that his commands and his demands and his direction, what he's telling us to do, are for your good? For your life? Listen, when we follow our own way, it will lead to harm. It will lead to destruction. It will lead us down a path that we don't need to go. When I was dating my wife, Right before she moved overseas, we did this long distance thing. I don't recommend it, but we made it through it. Still got married, praise the Lord, right? And she's still with me today, even after I do weird things on the floor. All right. So I took her on this really nice date. Like, she's going to throw up. This is amazing. Uh, I took her on this really nice date. We went down to Nashville to this steakhouse. And after we ate dinner, like, I, you know, like, it's first date. Anybody been on a first date? Like, a little bit nervous, right? You know. So we get, in, we get in the car, and we pull out. This is downtown Nashville. We pull out, and I'm driving down the road. All of a sudden, I realize I'm going, and if you've ever driven down Nashville, like in Nashville, downtown, like this is an easy thing to do, apparently. I was driving the wrong way on a one-way street. Right? Like, that's, like that's not what you want to do to impress a girl on your first date. Like all of a sudden, I realize, and I had two, two options. One is just own it and just be like, no, this is just what we do. Like, this is just who I am. We're, like, we live on the edge. We're adventurous. We're just going to see what happens and just hammer home. Let's go, right? Or I can turn around and go the right way. Obviously, I turned around and went the right way. Students, there's times in your life when you will find yourself going down the wrong way on a one-way street. There is one way. It's the way of Christ. And when we go against that, we will find ourselves at some point. Like, like at some point, had I kept going, there would be consequences for that choice. Now, students, don't miss this. Why do we go down the wrong way in life? A couple reasons. One, because we just don't know. We're ignorant of the right way. There may be some of you who are like, man, I don't even know what the commands of Jesus are. I don't even know what that looks like. That's okay. Like, we want to walk with you, your leaders, your small group, this ministry wants to walk with you to help you know those so you can go the right way. But then there are others of you who would say, I don't care what those are. I know what's best. I'm going to live my own life and make my own decisions my own way. I'm not going to abide in the vine. I'm going to abide in myself. And when we do that, you will find yourself making dumb mistakes like I did and going the wrong way on a one-way street. But even more dangerous is when we knowingly know that it's a one-way street and we say, I don't care. 
and you just blatantly do it. And what happens, the danger in this, students, don't miss this, when we do that spiritually, when we do that in our life, our hearts begin to harden. And we lose sight of the reality of what's happening. And it gets very, very dangerous. And what Jesus is teaching us, what God is saying, and what God speaks to Peter, it says, don't do that. This is my son. This is his glory. Listen to him. Conform your life to his commands. Number three is this. Ready yourself for his return. Ready yourself for his return. See, what Jesus was doing on this mountaintop, this is beautiful. He was giving Peter a foretaste as to what was to come. See, Peter wanted to stay there. The problem was Jesus knew that he had to get off the mountain because he had to go up onto a tree. He had to go up onto the cross. Because on that cross was where he was going to be able to provide life for those disciples that were with him up on the mountain and you as well. See, Peter wanted to stay there and say, hey, here's a tent for you and Elijah and all these people. Let's just hang out here. And Jesus says, no, because I want my table full. There's going to be in 2022 a group of students in Memphis, Tennessee that are gathered together. I want them with me on the mountaintop. When I come back, I don't want it to just be Peter, James, and John and us. I, I want multitudes of people to have this experience with me and my glory where they're gazing upon the glory of God falling down in awe and worship that they get to behold the glory of God in themselves knowing that they were sinners who were lost separated branches ready to be thrown into the fire he says I'm going to get up on a cross and I'm going to allow myself I'm going to give my life so that they can have life and experience what you're experiencing right now And so Jesus tells Peter, we got to get down off of this mountain. Listen, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, Peter says this. He says, for we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We heard his voice when we were on that mountain. What's happening is Peter's teaching, he's preaching after the resurrection, telling them, we didn't make this up. This is not a myth. We were on the mountain. We heard the audible voice of God. You need to get yourself ready because he's coming back. And then he goes in verse 19. He says, we have the prophetic word, the scriptures, and you will do well to pay attention to it until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He's referencing in this moment, say, hey, we have, listen, we have the word of God. We have scripture to prepare us, to get us ready for that moment, for that day when Jesus comes back. Students, he's coming back. And he's not coming in the form of a little baby in a manger. He's coming in full-on transformed metamorphous glory. And when he comes, you have no choice but to bow yourself before him because you are going to be this small before him. Students, don't miss it. What's the aim of your life? It is futile to think that you can live for yourself and it counts because one day Jesus is going to return.
question is, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm going to share this verse with you. Verse, this is Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. It says, when Christ, who is your life, appears. So just bow your heads with me. I, just, I want you to listen to this verse. And I, somehow, some way, try to, try to picture this. Try to picture this moment. When Christ, who is your life, appears. There was one night when I was going out to the mailbox to get the mail out of the mailbox. It's one of those pitch black nights. I'm walking out there, and for some reason, for whatever reason, I don't know, I think God was trying to teach me something. I just looked up into the black sky. And it was almost as if I pictured in that moment, literally, the sky ripping open. And I just pictured what it's going to be like in that moment when Jesus comes in all his glory. So Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears... Come on, then you also, students, then you also will appear with him in glory. You're going to the mountaintop. You get to be up there with Peter, James and John and Moses and Elijah and Jesus Christ, the Messiah. You don't have to come down on the mountain that time because the work's been finished. He's gone to the cross. He died for you. He died so that you as the branch can abide in him and have life. Students, what is the aim of your life? What is the goal? What are you shooting for? What do you want to be? What do you want to become? Listen, I'm not telling you not to have drive or ambition. What I'm telling you is to have drive and ambition in complete surrender to God's will and plan for your life. God wants to do something in you and through you. He wants you to bear much fruit for his glory. That only happens in relationship and fellowship and abandonment to him.